All right. Man, that was awesome. I, I saw yesterday, man, I, there was so many ladies here. It was, it was, it was unbelievable. It was really, really cool. And I, I, was, I, I thought they had some pretty stiff competition because the, man, the, manly, the manly event was awesome. And it was packed. It was amazing. And I just didn't think that the women could measure up to that, to that event. And then yesterday, like, all of a sudden, they're just coming from everywhere. I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is amazing. So, so good what's happening at the beginning of this year. And uh, we're excited and looking forward. I think if it's any indication of what our conference is going to be like, uh, I think we've got really, really some exciting things in store. Speaking of our conference, a couple weeks back, we handed out a, a handout talking about uh, announcing our conference is March 8th through the 10th, okay? Coming up here very soon, uh, we have our guest speaker's Russell B. Johnson, and just a fantastic minister. Uh, I, I really believe that, that he's got a message for us. The theme of our conference is you, and it's all about him. And so this is going to be a presence-driven conference. We're believing for the presence of God to show up and speak in a powerful way to our lives. And that's why we as a church are making the decision to give Jesus the weekend, okay? So I want you right now, just settle in your mind. doesn't matter what tries to come up, what tries to, I don't care if, it, if Aunt Susie calls a family, uh, you Know, get together and these I'm not going, all right? I've already made up my mind. March 8th to the 10th, I'm going to be in the house of the Lord because God's going to speak to me. If you'll just make that determination now and don't allow anything, because Satan will try. He's going to try and distract you and other things, pressing things are going to try to come up. But listen, nothing's more important than meeting with Jesus. Just make that your determination. I'm giving Jesus the weekend. And then thankfully this morning, we had IJ come up, as Carrie mentioned, uh, this morning, and she began to illustrate what it's like to intercede and pray. So March 17th is our Heart for the House Big Give Offering. And as you know, if you've been around our conferences, what we do is we unveil uh, the vision and, the, and, the, and the, um, what we're planning to do as a ministry in the next season. And so the week following our conference is a very special Sunday because it's we come together and we sacrifice for the Lord in what we call a Heart for the House Big Give Sunday. And it's, a, it's an amazing thing to be a part of. We've, we've had, we, we have this as an annual tradition of our church, and every year is very special because there's something about the people of God when we come together to sacrifice, it's pleasing to the Lord. And so I, I want you to mark that in your calendar, March 17th, and as IJ illustrated for us this morning, let's begin to pray because we believe that God meets us when we pray, all right? When we're speaking to the Lord and we're asking for his guidance and asking for him to show us the way, he will, all right? Not only does he make a way, he shows us the way. And so I just, I, I wonder if you wouldn't ask the Lord what, what, he, what your part would be in this upcoming Heart for the House Big Give offering, and I believe God will show you. And if you'll just do what God tells you to do, the needs are going to be met, and, and God's will is moving forward. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for, for, for uh, planning on these things and keeping these things in your prayer. We're going to get into the Word this morning. We're in week three of a series that we've entitled Truth Matters, and we've been talking about truth and how it's under attack in our world. The, the truth is under attack. There is a war for truth, and, and we as the people of God are meant to stand for truth. We're meant to engage in this war. W truth is worth fighting for. Can I hear somebody say amen? And so we're meant to, to, to be, be a part of this battle, and we're meant to stand for truth. And uh, this morning, I want to I minister a sermon. It's very interesting. We're going to be in the book of Jude today. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to the book of Jude, and you'd say, well, I don't really know where that is. You're going to have a hard time thumbing through and finding it, because it's literally one page. And it's the book before Revelation, okay? So, so all you got to do is go to the back of the book. The last book of the Bible is Revelation, and the book one page before before that is the book of Jude, and that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, but what's interesting is that on Wednesday nights, we began a study this week, Pastor Carl began a study teaching through the book of Jude. And it just so happens that I had begun to outline for Truth Matters, and this was one of the texts that I had centered in on that I wanted to minister on, and it, it just kind of, kind of came together. And so this was not on purpose. This isn't something we necessarily planned, but God planned it. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be in the book of Jude. And it's this book is written by the half-brother of Jesus, and he's writing to believers in the church. And this is the one thing I want you to grab a hold of because today's message is a little bit different because we've been talking about truth and the lies that, we're, that, that are, are, are coming at us are coming from outside of the church. And so, so the lies that we're fighting, what we've been talking about the last two weeks is the lies on the outside. 
But, but Jude is exposing another uh, lie that finds its way in the church. And so we're not going to be talking this morning about what's out there. We're going to talk about what's in here. Okay? So it's going to get a little personal this morning, and it might be a little dark for a little bit. All right? I'm, I'm just going to warn you up front. It, it might be a little bit dark, but let me just tell you that there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel, because at the end of the message, we're going to bring the light back in. Okay? Is that all right? So a little gloomy at the beginning. I'm just going to warn you, but then we'll, we'll have some fun at the end. But, but Jude is writing to the church ab not about an in-the-world problem. He's writing about an in-the-church problem. Okay? He's writing about an in-the-church problem. And the, and the church Jude is addressing is heading towards a collision between truth and lies. The, 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 the difference is, is it's in the church. That this battle, this war is happening in the church. It's the, it's the word of God against the spirit of this world. It's Jesus or the truth versus Satan, the father of lies. And it's a head-on collision. And here's the thing. Truth and lies, when it collides in the church, there's carnage. There's, there's, there's damage that's done, and, and we have to talk about that th in this morning. Because the Bible tells us not what, what happened, the Bible tells us what happens. And if it happened in Jude's day, it can happen in ours. And so he's addressing truth in the church because truth matters. And when truth prevails, there's freedom, there's prosperity, there's justice, there's peace. But when lies prevail, even in the church, there's destruction, there's chaos, there's loss, and there's death. And so these lies that Jude is addressing are not outside the church, but now they're inside the church. And the question is this, how does that happen? How does that happen? Why in the world, how does a lie get it? We've been saved by the truth only to be deceived by a lie. I mean, it's just crazy, but it happens all the time. And Jude says it like this in verse four. He says that ungodly people have wormed their way in to the church. They've wormed their way into the church. Now, here's the thing. I've grown up in church my entire life. I, I pretty much, I've been to different kinds of churches. When, when, when I was, the, 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 when I can rem remember the furthest back, my parents were a part of a Lutheran church. And a Lutheran church, in my estimation, it looks kind of like a Catholic church. You know, the, 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 you know, the pastor's wearing a, you know, a, a priestly robe and, you know, lighting candles and all this weird stuff. You know, so I, I, I can remember that. I don't remember too much about it, but I remember a very type of religious style of church. But then my dad got saved and he introduced me to a different church that was much more lively. Okay. It was, it was, it was much more charismatic and, and uh, it was a lot more fun to go to for sure. But anyways, that, that began a life where our family, the center of our family revolved around church. And so as a result, as a kid, I was, I was raised in what I would consider a Christian subculture. Okay. In other words, the culture I was raised in is very different than probably most people my age. Okay. Because I was, I was introduced not to music that everyone was listening to. I was listening to Christian music. Okay? And so when, when, when all my friends were talking about the bands they listened to, I was talking about Petra. Okay? You guys, most of you don't even know what I'm talking about. But I, I, I listened to Christian music and nothing else was really allowed in our home, all right? And we, we watched Christian movies about the mark of the beast and, 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 and gu guillotines, chopping people's heads off. And, and, I, and I, 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 I read Christian books. The books that I read at home were, were, were Christian books and we watched Christian cartoons. It was like a total, it was a subculture of a, a Christian subculture that I lived in as a young kid. And I'm not bagging on it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not downplaying. It. it was actually really, really good because what it did was it introduced me to the truth around God's word. Now, I didn't have a relationship with God at the time, but I was, I was, I was getting a knowledge of who God was and, and what God was about. And even though I didn't experience salvation until later on in my life, until years later, when I did get saved, all of those things that I had learned as a kid, they came alive to me. And so now the truths that I learned that really didn't matter back then, all of a sudden those truths were, were, were front and center in my life and I understood what it was really all about. And so because of that, after I got saved, I immediately began to, to go into ministry is what I would call it. 
And at the time, I was a high school student. And so I, at Buena Park High School, I started a, a, a high school Bible club where we saw many of my friends come to know Jesus and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of great results out of that time in high school. And, and, and simultaneous to that, here in the church, in the local church, um, I was teaching a, a, a preteen uh, Sunday school class. And so we, we know that Jacqueline Cisneros was a, was a member of my, my class. I was her favorite teacher by and far. And, uh, but I, I would teach the, 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 the preteens. And I'm not saying that, that my teaching was all that great. I'm sure it was terrible at the time. But I was just trying to get out the truth that was now, now revealed to me and through Christ. And, and so eventually what that led to is I began to do high school ministry here at, here at Elevate. And um, uh, I, I became the youth pastor and it was formally announced as a pastor 29 years ago. And you guys are like, no way. Yeah, because you don't even think I was, you didn't even think I was 29, but, but I am. And, and, and I know it's hard to believe, but I've been actually a staff pastor here for 29 years. And, and I remember back, back in those early years of ministry, this would have been back in the mid-90s, it was just such an exciting time. Because what, what began to happen is, is the teens that we were reaching at the church weren't church kids. The, 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 the teens that we were reaching were not from a Christian subculture. The, the young people we were reaching didn't have a church background or a Bible background at all. They didn't have a faith background. Their parents weren't even saved, but, but we were telling them about Jesus and they were flocking into the church. And what I realize now is that what was, what was happening here was also happening in pockets all around, really all around the world, but, but especially around the United States of America. What, what was, we were seeing all of these young people coming into the church. An entire generation was moving into the church, and the church as a result was beginning to change. Okay? Now up until this point, like the music was the music. Like when you went to church, it was the songs we sang were the songs we sing. Now, now you come today and Thankfully, we have a worship team that writes songs, and we're constantly kind of changing the music and the, and the songs. But listen, when I was a kid, it was the same song. When, I got, when my parents got saved, we sang the same songs then that we sang when I was in high school. It's the same songs, like and the same beat, the same chords. The, I'm telling you, it's the exact same thing. And so all of a sudden, kind of simultaneous to this group of young people coming into the church, all of a sudden the music began to change. Like new songs were, were, were being written, and this was definitely for the better, okay? All right, I'm not bagging on the songs back then, but, but they got old quick, you know what I mean? And, and, and all of a sudden, not only the music began to change, but also the appearance of churches began to change. And, and, and we began to introduce different, different looks into the church, and what was happening was is that the traditional church as we knew it was being replaced, it was being transformed into something that looked different. Now, I was glad for this because, because I had, at this point, I had made the decision that I was going to come alongside Pastor Carl and Sister Bonnie, my parents. I was going to come alongside them because we had a great church, but I just felt like we could move it forward. Like it could, it could look better. We could, we could, we could, we could do it better. And so, so I was, I was excited to be kind of on the forefront of bringing change into our church. And, and I was attempting in my heart of hearts to move our church forward, not changing what we believed or our vision, but just moving the church forward in appearance and, and how we did things. And as a result, I started looking for different types of church trends and cultural shifts and all this stuff that was going on at the time, and I ended up becoming part of what was, what was known then as an urban leaders network. And, and basically, this network was a bunch of people kind of like me who were excited about the changing that was taking place in the church, excited about the shift that was happening in the church and, and, and the cultural things. And, and so I, I found myself kind of in this progressive lane of hip and cool Christians. I know that sounds weird because you're like, you're not cool. But at the time... At the time, that's kind of what it felt like, is like there was this new type of hip, type of cool Christian things. And, and this, listen, this is before the ones who are actually cool here this morning were even born, okay? This is before you were born. But out of this group of, 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 of um, hip, cool Christians came this hot term. 
And at the time, it was a new term, but it became very, uh, uh, there was books written about it. It was talked about all over the place, and it was called the emerging church. M most of you probably didn't even hear about that. But to me, this was such a, wow, this is such an amazing thing. Like, we could be a part of the emerging church. Like, the, the church is emerging. But what I didn't realize is that simultaneous to this emerging church and all of this change that was happening in the church, there was also a cultural change that was happening in the world. And this cultural change was something else was beginning to evolve and something else was beginning to change. And what that was was truth. And all of a sudden, absolute truth began to be questioned, okay? And so not only was style changing in the church, but in the world and simultaneously in the church, style was shifting, but also substance. Are you hearing me? And so along with terms like the emerging church also came terms like tolerance and terms like relevant, in terms like uh, um, um, progressive. And, and at the time when you heard these terms, they were new and they sound morally based. Like it sounded like a good idea to, for tolerance and these types of things. It, it sounded really, really good when you first heard it, but really what it was were seeds that were be, being planted to erode away at absolute truth. And so you had the emerging church but simultaneous, you had tolerance, you had relativism, you had relevant, you had progress. It all sounded good, but what happened is, is these terms turned into a very progressive liberal movement. Are you, are you trending with me right now? And so now what we have is we have all of, the, all of the statistics and the results of that movement. We have the statistics that tell us what that produced. And so Barna did, a, did some research, and this is what they wrote. I just, I just typed what they wrote. It says this. Their research says that substantial numbers of Christians believe that activities such as abortion, gay sex, sexual fantasies, cohabitation, drunkenness, and viewing pornography are morally acceptable. Only 7% of Christian teenagers say that their moral choice are based on biblical principles, while the majority said their choices were made on the basis of whatever would produce the most beneficial results for them. It goes on to say that only one out of 10 born again Christians believe in absolute truth. Now, we would read this and we would think, man, that sounds a lot like what's going on today. But I want you to know that this research was done in 2002. In 2002. And so the emerging church and the tolerating of sin and all the progressive influence in only a few years, less than a decade, had produced, produced an entire generation who had, who had basically given up on the truth of God's word and accepted a lie. And this is in the church. In the church. So the emerging church that I thought was such a great idea, actually became the submerging of the church. And it was wrapped in change, and it was wrapped in progress, but what it was doing was turning away from tradition, it was turning away from biblical truth, and I'm grateful that because of the Christian subculture that I was raised in, and because of the truth I was introduced to for a long time, when those messages of, of tolerance and, and the emerging church and, re, and, and replacing traditions, when the, that ministry started to come forth, spoken over the pulpits in America, I, I felt like something was wrong. I, I felt like this, this is not, and thankfully as a church, we recognized it was a lie. And, and we stood against it. But I want to tell you today that that movement, that emerging church movement, has now grown up in our day, and it started as a reconstruction of the church. But now we know it was actually the beginning of the deconstruction of the church. Where now, now it's a progressive Christianity, a woke Christianity. And now you actually have generations of apostasy reimagining what Christianity truly is. We shouldn't be surprised because Jude was going against the same thing. 
This is what Jude was, was experiencing. And in verse four, he says that some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches and saying that God's marvelous grace allows for us to live immoral lives. I want you to read that and put it up against the, the research I just read you. And what you'll recognize is what Jude was facing and what we face here is exactly the same thing. And what that tells us is that no matter if you've been to church or not, no matter if you know the Bible or not, I think everyone in here knows our world is broken. It's, a, it, it's an absolute mess. People aren't happy. We're not doing well as a people. We're not flourishing. And we, when we think about our future and we think about the future of our kids, it looks scary. I'm going to give you a moment to think about that because it's true. It looks scary. It doesn't look hopeful. And so as the church, I think we all recognize something needs to change. Something needs to change. And so the big question is, is what's wrong and how do we fix it? What's wrong and how do we fix it? Now, the church has a diagnosis and a solution that's much different than the world's diagnosis and solution. Because the church's diagnosis is this. We're messed up. The church's diagnosis is that, that I am a sinner and I have sinned against God and until I get right with God, I'm not gonna get anything right. That's the diagnosis. How many have come to that conclusion? That I am a sinner and I'm gonna be disconnected from meaning and purpose. I can't save myself. I'm gonna be disconnected from my purpose until I get connected to God. That's, that's what, so, so our diagnosis is we're messed up, but thankfully the solution is, is that God came to save and rescue me. And, and he, his name is Jesus. And Jesus came and lived the life that I could not live and then died the death that I deserved. And then he rose again from the grave, conquering Satan, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering hell, and, and, and conquering the wrath of God. And today he grants me a free gift of salvation and eternal life through Jesus. And I didn't earn it. I have no business having it. And today he's still working on me because I'm still flawed. I'm still messed up. I'm still broken. And, and, and there's a long, God's got a long way to go in this life. All right? Maybe you maybe think, well, he's almost done with me. But, but for me, he's got a long way to go. And ultimately, Jesus will return, and he's going to judge sin. He's going to open up heaven. He's going to lift the curse, and he's going to make right every wrong. Justice will prevail. And this is our hope. It's our diagnosis and our solution. But the world's diagnosis is much different because the world thinks, no, we're, we're, man is innately good and we're getting better. And so at the heart of the world's doctrine and their diagnosis is that I'm good, I'm, I'm, I'm good, I'm not bad, I'm getting better, not worse. The world is getting brighter, it's not getting darker. Things are trending up, they're not trending down. This is progressivism. This is the whole idea of progressivism. And the key difference between what the church believes to be the truth and what the world believes to be the truth is the word of God. The word of God is literally the dividing line between the kingdom of God and the spirit of this world. And so every generation, you can go all the way back into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, straight through to where we are today, and you'll see over and over again in every generation, there's this delusional, it's a, it's a powerful delusional myth of progressivism. Progressivism. And, and the thought is this, that if we could just get rid of those old ideas, if we could just get rid of those old traditions, those old religions, those old commitments, if we could just do away with those old books, if we could just get rid of all of that stuff, then everything would actually, we could actually raise the bar on what's possible. Because we're stuck doing it the old way. So if we could just get rid of that, we could make significantly more progress and we could all be doing much better. And so what's happening in Jude's day is this, is this, and we can see it happening today in, 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 our, in our world, that those in the church were facing incredible pressure like we are today, and the pressure is, is to diminish God's word. What he says is true, what has always worked. What, it's never failed. 
Like, if you do it God's way in your family, your family will be blessed. If you do it God's way in your finances, your finances will be blessed. If you do it God's way in your, in your marriage, your marriage will be blessed, all right? The, 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 these, have all, these are truths that work 100% of the time. But the, word would, the world would say, no, no, that's old. It could be so much better, because we're progressing. We're, we're progressing. It's, it's, it's a war over the truth of God's word, whether or not we'll diminish it or remove it altogether. And so that's why Jude says in verse three, he says, I want you to contend. Somebody say contend. He says, I want you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. This faith is not changing. It's not progressing. It was once and for all, done. Finished work of Jesus. There's nothing we can add to it. And he's saying, you gotta contend for that. You gotta fight for that. That, that is the truth. In other words, you gotta hold the line. You gotta you got keep the line. These are not new concepts. All right, these truths have stood the test of time. And so he's saying with a military term, he's saying, I want you to contend. I want, it's gonna be struggle. It's gonna be a battle. It's gonna be a fight. And that fight Jude was talking about is exactly the fight that we're engaged in today. It's happening right now in our day and in our time. And so there's two ideologies that we're faced with. There's two, there's always two. There's two, and, and, the, and, and, and they're at contrast, they're at war. And the, and the first one is traditional. A traditional, this is what Jude's saying, contend for. What's always worked, the faith that was at the beginning, that's what we're contending for. It's a traditional thinking. And so when, when, we're, when we're building a church, or when we're building a marriage, or when we're building a family, or when you're building uh, your, your, your personal economy, your finances, or a culture that you wanna be a part of, what you say is, I'm gonna look at the timeless truths of God's word, the traditional values of God's word, and I'm gonna apply those to my life because they work. But what the devil does is he comes in and he critiques that. He criticizes that, and he comes up with a critical theory. So he looks at the timeless truths of God's word and then points out the flawed people. This is happening, this happens in the Bible, but also happens in America, where all this good happened because of the values of people, but what happens is, is Satan introduces something called critical theory. So where we get critical race theory or any of the other critical theories where you look at history and you don't see all of the success that, 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 that's happened over the years, but instead you see failures and you see, you see faults and you see flaws. And, and all of a sudden you, you, you start to say, you know what, I, I, because these people were flawed, we're gonna deconstruct what they believed. We're gonna deconstruct what they valued. And so that's what we have today, is because of this critical theory that Satan has introduced to us, now instead of, instead of it being, uh, uh, you know, um, reconstructing the church, what we've done is we've deconstructed it in the name of progress. Are you with me today? So we'll deconstruct gender, and we'll deconstruct family, and we'll deconstruct marriage, and we'll deconstruct the law, and we'll deconstruct the Bible, and we'll deconstruct Christianity. And so it seems like everything's in demolition mode. You know what I'm talking about? And it's everything's being torn down to build back better. Some of you will get that later on. Just to, they're gonna tear it all apart and we're gonna, we're gonna build back better in the name of progress. We're gonna, we're gonna take everything forward. But I wanna say this, change is not always progress. I want you to hear this, change is not always progress. And so the progressive movement has lied to all of us. And what it says is if we move further away from the past, it's gonna be better in the future. The big lie is that new is improved. New and improved version of Christianity. We got a new and improved version, uh, inter interpretation of the Bible. We've got new things that God is saying. But I wanna say just because something is new doesn't mean it's better. I'm sweating up here. I don't know if you're sweating down there, but I'm, I'm sweating up here. The Bible says in Hebrews 13 that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Just because it's new doesn't make, doesn't make it better. And so what's happened in, in the world and in the church is we've got a bunch of false prophets getting creative with the truth. I mean, we love creatives here at Elevate, all right? We love people getting creative. I mean, some of you guys are super cool because, because you're creative and you, you, you're, you, you, you're very creative and we can tell, all right? And it's okay if you wanna be creative with your wardrobe, if you wanna be creative with interior design, if you wanna be creative with your own personal style, that's fine. But you can't get creative with your Christian convictions, all right? Yes, you can find creative ways to express old truths. You just can't create new truths. Because there is no new truth. Truth is eternal, all right? Truth is God. He was and is. And because people have gotten creative with the truth, we've got this woke, aggressive, apostate generation that are getting creative with the Bible, getting creative with gender, getting creative with the church, getting creative with Jesus in ways they should not. And this is the exact battle Jude is facing as he's writing to the church and he's warning about false prophets who found their way, they've wormed their way into the church. And he's saying you gotta contend. In other words, there's gonna be a battle between the church and the world over the word of God. The only difference is it's happening in the church. This is not something he's saying it's out there. He's saying this is something that's in here, in here. And in Jude 11, he warns, he says, woe to them because they've gone the way of Cain. They've run greedily in the error of Balaam and they've perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now, I think a lot of times we would read Jude and, and we'd read something like that scripture right there and we just kind of mow over it because we don't really think about what it means. Because there's a lot of really cool scriptures in, in Jude that are much easier for us to understand. And so when Jude says something like this, we just kind of gloss over it because we think, well, it doesn't really matter. But Jude's trying to paint a picture of what's in the church. He's trying to show us something that's in the church. And what I love is that he's exposing a current problem and the way he's doing it by a past truth. He's exposing a current problem by looking back at the Old Testament of what was true back then, because if it was true back then, that means it's true today. Are you hearing me today? And so in doing this, he's trying to, he's trying to paint a picture and he uses three Old Testament characters that had wormed into the church. And these three guys, Cain, Balaam, and Korah, they're in the church. They were in the church in the Old Testament, they were in the church in Jude, and guess what? They're in the church today. Because the Bible doesn't just tell us what happened, the Bible tells us what always happens. And so he begins to compare his modern day situation with an Old Testament reality. And he's pointing out frauds, he's pointing out lies, and he's pointing out liars that have ended up in the church. And he's warning us that if they're in the church then, they're in the church now. And so we're gonna unpack who these guys were. Because unfortunately, these guys are here today. Let me introduce you to the first one. His name's Cain. And we read about his original story in Genesis chapter four. And if you know about Cain, basically he was, he was Adam and Eve's firstborn son. He had a brother by the name of Abel. Now when we say Adam and Eve's firstborn son, that means he was the firstborn person. He was the first guy with a belly button, Cain. We know that to be true. He was, the, he was the first guy. And, and, and the Bible says that these, these boys, they grew up and they became men and got a job, which is awesome. And every boy that grows up and becomes a man should have a job, all right? So these guys are doing good so far. But Cain, he ends up becoming a farmer. Abel becomes a rancher. Both very good jobs, like super good. Like if, if, if we have farmers and ranchers in here, we're doing good, all right? We're happy about that. And so the Bible says that these, these two boys or men, they come to, to worship the Lord. It had been their version of church. So they showed up at church and the Bible says that they brought to the Lord offerings, which is what you do when you worship the Lord. You bring an offering to him. They came with something in their hands. Worship is sacrifice and both Cain and Abel are expressing that as they come to give. So the Bible says that God looks at their sacrifices. He looks at Cain's and he looks at Abel's and the Bible says that he was pleased with Abel's but he rejected Cain's. Now, 
A lot of times people try to, you know, break down what they brought and say, well, the reason God didn't like it is because he likes meat, not veggies, or something around that, something like that. But I, I really don't think it had anything to do with what they brought to the Lord. I, I think it had everything to do with how it was brought, how it was brought to the Lord. And there was something that was off inside the heart of Cain. And so, and so what was in Cain's hand to give to the Lord was perfectly fine, but what was in Cain's heart wasn't good. Are you with me? And so God looks at Cain and God knows our heart. And God knew Cain's heart, and, 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 and which tells us that, that you can come to church and be angry. You can come to church and be murderous. You can give a tithe and be vengeful and bitter and unforgiving. This is what's going on with Cain. And so God looks at Cain and says, Cain, you're angry. Cain, there's something wrong. There's a problem in you. And we don't really know what that problem was. It could have been that he was bitter. It could have been that he was jealous. It could have been that he had wrong ambitions. Whatever it was, it could have been a variety of things. But what we know is that he was angry. He was upset. And God warns him because God loves us. And God warns those that he loves. He disciplines those that he loves. And so God warns Cain and, and, and says this. He says, Cain, you got to deal with the problem in your heart before it destroys you. All right, you're believing a lie. And what's happening is, is, is sin is waiting at your door. It's hiding behind the door, just waiting for you to open the door. Because if you open the door to sin, it will get in. And it will destroy your life. And so Cain's dealing with this anger. He's being approached by God. That's God's love to me, saying, hey, you gotta, you got to deal with this. But rather than deal with it, he gets more angry. He gets more upset. The Bible says that he begins to plot ways that he can murder his brother. And then eventually, when they were out in the field all alone, he slaughters his brother in, out in the field. And then he tries to hide it, but God comes to him and says, and confronts him and says, hey, Cain, where's your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? He tries to hide like he didn't know what was going on, but God says, you do know where your brother is because you murdered him. So, so Cain's problem was this is that there was sin in his life that God convicted him of, but he refused to acknowledge it or repent of it. Are you with me today? He, he refused to acknowledge that something in his heart was wrong and that he, had, that he had impure motives. And so Jude is now generations later, years later, is now pointing this out because another version of Cain has now reappeared in the church. Are you following what I'm talking about? Because most of us here, here's the thing, most of us would never associate our lives with Cain. Like, Cain's a bad guy. Like, uh, like me, Cain, like, like how, how dare you, Jude, accuse me of, of being compared to Cain? Like, like somehow I'm gonna end up like, like Cain. But here's the truth, you will if you have unrepentant sin. See, we can't just read the stories in the Bible and say, I can't believe Cain would do that. I, I, I can't believe Cain would do that. We have to ask the question, how could I be like Cain? Because the Bible is there for, to be a mirror. And the point that Jude is making, and he's telling you today, is he's asking the question is, what is your unrepented sin? Where you've been convicted by God, when you know it's wrong, and you just continue in it. Let me tell you what happens when you continue in sin. It will destroy your life. The same way it destroyed Cain's life, it will destroy you, it will cause you to do irre irreparable harm, to do, to do things you can't take back, just like what we see here in Cain's example. The second character that Jude brings up is a guy by the name of Balaam, and you can read about him in Numbers 22. Some of you would, would recognize this story, this name Balaam. Maybe you're trying to remember what, what he was all about, but Cain was a prophet. And we know that a prophet is someone who receives truth from God and then communicates it to the people. And so Balaam is a, is a, is a, is a prophet of God. Now here's what you gotta understand about a prophet. They are never meant to be able to edit what God tells them. So they're not meant to add to what God says. They're meant to just to receive the truth and then communicate what needs to be delivered. If at any point you add to that message or you create your own message other than God's message, you are no longer a prophet. You are now a false prophet. Because you're not telling the truth. You're telling the opposite of that. You're telling a lie, okay? So God goes to Balaam and he gives his prophet a message. And the message is pretty simple. It's, it's cut and dry. He says, I want you to go over here to these people and I want you to bless them. 
and I want you to go over to these people and curse them. I mean, simple, right? That's, that, that's, that's basically it. Bless these folks and, and curse these, po- these folks over here. Now, those folks over here who are getting cursed, they're not pumped about that message. Like, you're already upset that I'm pointing at you. You're like, how dare you? I'm sitting on that side next time. Those people that are getting cursed, they're not happy with it. And so they come to Balaam and they're like, look, Balaam, is there any way we could, you know, can we, can we soften that message a little bit? Can we, can we change that? Can we work something out with, 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 that, with that, that? Can we switch up that prophecy to bless us and curse them? Some of you are smiling already. You're like, that's what I want. Bless us and curse them. And Balaam's like, I can't do that because that's not what God said. That's not what he told me to say. And so they say, well, hey, well, what if we make a donation to your ministry? If we make a donation to your ministry, then you will bless us and curse them. And he's like, guys, I, I, I can't do that. And I, there's no way. And they're like, well, what if we add a zero? What if we add a zero? Would you bless us and curse them? And, and Balaam's like, uh, uh, I got to pray about that a little bit. He's like, what, what if a couple zeros, man, you're making it really, really hard. Add another zero and you got a deal. That's basically what happens. And so, so here's the thing. Jesus doesn't have much good to say about a hireling. Because a hireling is for sale. And so because Balaam became a hireling, he's going he's gonna to speak what is, what is most beneficial to him. He's now a for-profit prophet. You see that? A hireling is someone who says and does whatever they get paid to say and do. Whatever's most beneficial to them. And this is what is, has happened to this prophet Balaam. So when Balaam is saying, thus says the Lord, he's really saying what everyone wants to hear. Are you with me today? It isn't true, but it keeps the peace. Like we're bros. Like everybody's happy. Everybody's, 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 everybody's good. And so we read the story further and Balaam is on his, on his donkey and he's on his way to deliver this false prophecy. And all of a sudden standing in the road to oppose him is the angel of the Lord, which we know to be Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is there in the middle of the road and the donkey that Balaam is riding on sees Jesus, but Balaam doesn't. And so what's happened is, is the donkey is now more mature and more discerning than Balaam is. All right. Balaam is so blind to the presence of God. He doesn't even realize he's in the presence of God. Are you with me this morning? And so the donkey ends up plastered along the side of the wall. Balaam's got his, his knees all scuffed up. He's, he's jumped off the donkey. He's beaten it and trying to get it to move forward. But the donkey won't do it. The donkey's like, Balaam, can't you see Jesus is standing in the middle of the road? So now the donkey is the true prophet. That's what's happening. Now here's the thing, what Balaam's story teaches us is that you could start out quoting the Bible only to later on contradict the Bible. You could start out saying, thus says the Lord, and then start saying things the Lord never said. Second Peter says, they have forsaken the right way and they've gone astray following the way of Balaam who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Balaam's story shows us that as a Christian, are you with me right now? As a Christian, there's going to be opportunity for you to contradict the truth and to contradict his word. And it will seem to you that when you do that, it's going to actually be beneficial to you. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Here's the thing about truth. Truth will cost you. Proverbs 23, 23, third time we've used it this month. Buy the truth and do not sell it. What that scripture says is that truth will cost you. And so many people, they know the truth, but they back away from it. So many people know the truth, have obtained the truth, they've believed the truth, only to sell it. Like Esau sold his birthright. Just, just, just let it go. Revelation, Jesus says this. He says, I've got a few things against you. Because... You have among you those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam to eat things that are sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. 
This is exactly what's happening in the church today. How true is this in our culture today where we've got celebrity pastors and we've got the Roman Catholic Pope and entire denominations who are contradicting the Bible while affirming and blessing and encouraging people to have whatever sex they deem is appropriate. It's happening right now today because the Bible doesn't tell us what happened. The Bible tells us what always happens. And today, Balaam's got sons and daughters all throughout the church. They're, they're, they're everywhere. And so the question we've got to ask ourselves is, how many zeros would it take for me to compromise my Christian convictions? Maybe, maybe that explains why people that work with you don't know you're saved. Because for them to know you're saved might hurt your employment. Maybe this explains why you go to school, but none of your classmates know that you love Jesus. Because for them to know that, it might affect your status, or your grades, or your popularity. Maybe this explains why your social media account doesn't hint even to you being a disciple of Jesus. It actually looks like you're in a Christian witness protection program. No one would have any idea that you have a relationship with Jesus. But let me tell you something, if you're not willing to stand up for truth, if you're not willing to speak the truth, even though it costs you, you're just like Balaam. You're just like Balaam, willing to compromise your faith because it profits you. Let's talk about Korah, number 16. There was two leaders that God had appointed over the people, and their names were Moses and Aaron. And Moses and Aaron were the ones that were leading the people and saying and doing what God was telling them. They were speaking the truth to God's people. All right, that's what they were doing. They were the pastors of the congregation. They're speaking truth to God to an entire generation. But here's the thing, the people didn't like the truth. The people in the church weren't down with the truth, all right? They didn't like what, 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 what Moses and Aaron were dishing out. And I can tell you th this uh, from experience. The truth is not always popular. And so back when I was referring to early on in our, in our ministry where all these young people were, were coming to church and getting saved, they, it was amazing what God was doing. But as soon as you begin to confront sin, a lot of them didn't stick around. Just saying. Anyways, same things happen with Moses and Aaron. They're speaking the truth. They're, they're just saying what God says, and the people are upset. They're, they're upset because they don't want to hear this stuff. And so Korah, this guy steps on the scene, and he begins to encourage an insurrection. He begins to cause division amongst the church, all right? He begins to, to, begin to like hint around to others. Hey, what do you think if we get rid of Moses and Aaron? You tell me what you want, and that's what we'll do. So he's trying to get a bunch of people on his side. It's, 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 it's Satan's script. Because this is how Satan does stuff. He, he, his, the first coup attempt was him getting with a bunch of angels and saying, man, I don't really like, I'm not really down with how God's handling stuff. Like Jesus and the Father and the Son. Holy, I'm not really down with all that. I think everybody should, should you know, should, I, th I don't think he should get all the worship. Like, let's, let's, let's split it up a little bit. Like, like let's just kind of, and so he get a bunch, of, a bunch of people, a bunch of angels, I mean, he gets them on his side, and they begin to, to, to go to war against God and begin to demand worship. What Korah is doing is the same thing Satan did in heaven. In Revelations 12, the Bible says war broke out in heaven. This is exactly what's happening. It's the same script. It's only happening here on earth. And here's the, here's the truth. Because of this insurrection, God had to kill 14,700 people. There was some collateral damage in the church. This is what happened in the church. And here's the truth, you need to, need to hear this. If you wanna be rebellious, and if you wanna be divisive, and you wanna make the Bible speak the truth that you want, you want the Bible to say your truth, listen, you'll always find someone willing to be your leader. You'll always find, you'll always find other people that will join your unholy alliance. But I want to caution you, it's demonic. It, it, it's Korah. And that's why we've got to check our heart. We've got to check our heart because we, we, we read these texts and we think about these men that are in the church and we think, I can't believe these guys would, would act like that. I, I, can't, I can't believe it. When the reason is Jude is bringing it up for us because it could be you. And sometimes the truth hurts. Jude 12 says this, talking about Cain and Balaam and Korah. He says this. He says, these guys are like clouds without water. They're like trees without fruit. They're like raging waves of the sea foaming up in their own shame. They're like wandering stars. A lot of times we read this scripture and we just kind of get to the better part. 
don't even think about it. But, but what are clouds without rain? A cloud without rain is pointless. What, what is trees without fruit? If a tree doesn't bear any fruit, it's a worthless tree. But what, is, what is waves foaming up shame? Has anybody ever been to the beach and there's all that, that dirty, gross foam that's kind of collecting on the sand? It looks, like, it looks like the ocean ate bad Chinese food and coughed it up on the, on the shore. You, you know what that foam is good for? It's good for nothing. It's, it's good for nothing. He says wandering stars. In, in those times, a star was what you'd use to navigate. It, it's what you used to, to show you the way. But if a star is wandering, it means it's directionless. It's no help at all. And so Jude is saying that when you back away from the truth, this is what you get. This is, this is what's happened to the church. When you back away from the truth, you get pointless, fruitless, worthless, and directionless. That's what happens. And some people in the church, they say they're Christians, but you look at their life, it's pointless. You, they attend church, but they are fruitless. They have a lot of opinions, but they're worthless. And if you follow them, good luck, because they're directionless. So here's the, here's the thing. I told you it was gonna get a little dark in here today, okay? And Jude's day was dark. What he was addressing was dark. It's, it's just like the days that you and I live in today. And there was so much pressure in the church to compromise, just to kind of compromise. And I think, I think if, if, if you're alive today, you're sensing the same tension. You're experiencing the same tension. And it feels like when we walk into the world, we're actually walking into a war. It's a war, and it feels like everything's against what God says. And it feels like everything's against who God is. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? But Jude understood this, and Jude fought this. And, and I wanna tell you something, the fight that he is, he is explaining today, it's our fight. It's the fight that we're in. And he's warning first century Christians, but he's also warning us that the days we live in, they're pretty dark and they're pretty discouraging. But I love what Jude does at the end of the book. Does anybody remember what the title of this sermon was? But you, but you. Because here's the thing, he goes from looking at the problem in the world and then he, he, changes, his, he changes his perspective. And he takes, he takes it off the world and places it on Jesus. I, I, I think it's amazing how he does this. And I wanna close this sermon, and there's really not a whole lot of commentary I can add to what Jude said, because it's so amazing. It's our instruction. It's, it's our solution. It's, it's our encouragement. And he's writing this book not to discourage you. He's writing this book to encourage you, to motivate you, and to strengthen you to do what? To contend. To fight for the truth. And so I want to read it together if we can. Uh, verse 17. He says, Jude, Jude's encouragement, he says, I want you to remember. He says, I want you to remember the words which were spoken before. He's saying, guys, let's not create something new. Let's not, try and, let's not try and get creative with the truth. Let's just remember what was spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ and how they told you that there's gonna be mockers in the last days who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions and don't have the spirit but you. I remember when I read this at the end of last year, it was like those two words just highlighted. And I felt like God was speaking to me. Adam, I know you wanna fight this fight. I know you wanna contend. I know you wanna live out the truth. He says, I'm gonna give you the keys. Adam, here's, here's what it's gonna take. He says this, he says, you, but you, Build yourself up on your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ until, unto eternal life. What an amazing encouragement. It's just a recipe. Do you see it? It's just a recipe for you. How do you win this war? How do you win this fight? You build yourself up with faith. Come on, are you hearing that? You pray, thank you, thank you God. You pray in the Holy Spirit and you keep yourselves in the love of God. 
This is a recipe. And then in verse 24, he, he says, this is, this is what's gonna give you the strength to do it. He says, now to him. So he says, he says, he says the way you can do it is not, is not in your own strength, but it's from him. He, said, he, he brings it all back to Jesus because Jesus is the truth. Jesus always gets the last word. He says, now to him, he's the one that can keep you from stumbling. He says, but you, and you, and you, and you, but you, and you, and you, and you, come on, put yourself there, but you, you, you're gonna be able to stand. You're gonna be able, to, you're not gonna fall away. You're gonna, you're gonna stay strong. You're gonna stand on the truth. You, you're gonna be able to do it. You, and you, and you, you're not gonna fall for the lie. You're gonna stand on truth. You won't give up. You won't give in. You are gonna see the finish line. Anybody excited about that? Because he who began a good work in you will complete it. He's gonna complete it. He's gonna see it through. He's gonna see it through. Now to him who is able to present you. See, it's not something that we do. It's something he does. He presents us faultless before the presence of his glory and with exceeding joy to the only God, the only Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forevermore. Amen. Oh, don't you love that? Don't you love that? Come on. Come on, some of you in this room, I believe that God convicted you today. I believe there was some conviction. The Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit does that. And as we talked about Cain, and we talked about Balaam, and we talked about Korah, you begin to maybe see some weakness in your life, or maybe areas where you've begun to fall, fall for the lie. You see, Cain had unrepented of sin in his life, but refused to deal with it. We can't do that. We can't do that. The truth always exposes sin. It always exposes sin. And we have a choice. What do we do with that? Do, do we... Do we act on it? Do we repent? Do we turn away? Or do we just continue like nothing's wrong? Unfortunately, a lot of us just, our pride gets in the way and we just kind of just keep going. Oh, that's not that big of a deal. No, no, it's a big deal. It's a big deal because sin crouches at the door. And if you just open it up, it gets in. What does it do? It destroys your life. And the outcome of Cain's life will be the outcome of yours unless you deal with sin unless you deal with sin. And some of you right now, there's areas in your life that you know it's sin and you just continue to do it. And you say, well, I'm, gonna, I, 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 I'm not gonna do it tomorrow. I, I'm not gonna do it tomorrow. I, 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 and you try, to, you try to defeat it with willpower, it'll never work. That sin never will be defeated with willpower. Jude told us how to defeat that sin. Jude told us how to defeat, now to him who is able to present you Listen, the only one that can provide forgiveness of sin and give you the power to overcome that sin is Jesus. That's it. And so maybe today, all over this room, maybe we could close our eyes in this room today. Maybe all over this room, you'd ask yourself the question, has God exposed sin in my life and I've continued to live with it? That would be unrepented of sin. And there's a decision you're, you have to make today. Am I just gonna continue on and live in it? Or am I gonna repent and turn from it? Today's an opportunity to repent and turn from it. Your outcome won't look like Cain's, but instead your outcome will be one of blessing. It'll be, it, it, wherever truth is, there's blessing, there's peace, there's prosperity. You can, you, can, you can believe the lie that you can live with sin, or you can accept the truth that God forgives sin to all those who repent of it. Maybe you're in this room, you say, I need to repent today. There's sin in my life that I need to repent of. And you'd be bold enough to raise your hand all over this room. There's a lot of perfect people in here today. I see that hand right there. You have unrepented of sin in your life, and you say, I need to get it right. Come on. Come on, let's be honest with God today. The Holy Spirit's talking to you. Yes, 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 lots of hands, lots of hands all over this room. Thank you for that. You can put it down. You can put it down. Come on. Listen, the Bible says all we have to do is repent, and God is faithful. He's just to forgive us of our sin. Maybe right now, right now, those of you that raise your hand, you'd say, that's me. I, God, forgive me. Would you right now, every, everybody in this room, we're not, none of us are perfect in here. Maybe today you'd say, God, forgive me all over this place. God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I'm the problem. I've diagnosed the problem and it's me. 
Come on, would you just say that? I've diagnosed the problem in my life. Every, everywhere there's a problem in my life, it's because of me. Oh, but I recognize the solution is you. It's you, God, you came and died. You shed your blood so I could be forgiven. He said, if I would call on, the, on your name, I'd be saved. That if I repent of my sin, that you'd be faithful to forgive me. God, I repent today. Come on, say, I repent. I'm sorry. Forgive me, God. I'm, I'm, I've messed up. I've done things my own way. Oh, I've tried to make things work in my own capacity, and I failed every time. Lord, I recognize you are righteous, and you are holy. God, if I'd allow you to lead and direct my life, Lord, I'd live in blessing and walk in, and walk in joy. God, today I repent. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my pride that's kept me from repenting. Come on, somebody pray out loud. Would you do that? Come on, don't be afraid. We're all, we're all broken. We're all messed up. Come on, would you repent of that sin today? Some of you right now, you need to get it right with God. You've been living in sin. It's, it, it's dominating your life. You feel terrible about it, but you've, you've done nothing. Today's the day you, you, make it, you make a change. You invite Jesus to be the solution. You recognize I can't do it on my own, so I'm inviting Jesus into the equation. He's the truth. He's the way. He's the life. Thank you, God. Thank you for forgiveness. It only comes through you in Jesus' name. Maybe some of you are like Balaam. You, you, you've, you've been compromising your convictions because it benefits you to do so. Or you think it benefits you. It's a lie. You think it benefits you to hide the truth, to hide the truth of what God's done in your life. You're, you're afraid of what people think if they knew the truth about what Jesus has done in your life. And so you've hid that, you've kept it quiet, and today you say, you know what, it's a coming out party. It's a coming out party. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation. I refuse to be like Balaam and, and, and speak only what benefits me. Lord, I, I refuse to do that. I'm gonna speak the truth and let the, let the pieces fall where they may. Lord, I'm gonna live it out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna live out the truth of your word in Jesus' name. Maybe that's you all of this room that you're making that statement today. I'm not compromising the truth in my life any longer. I'm not hiding the truth any longer. I'm going to speak it out regardless of the consequences. All over this room, lift your hands. That's me. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. That's me. Thank you, Lord, for all these hands, God. Help us to do that. Help us to do that. And Lord, I thank you for the truth. And when it comes, sometimes it hurts. And I refuse to be like Korah who reject the truth just because I don't like it. I refuse to be like Korah to reject the truth because it doesn't feel good. Instead, Lord, I'm going to take the truth of your word as hard as it is to receive sometimes. I'm going to receive it because I know wherever the truth prevails, justice prevails, forgiveness prevails, peace prevails, joy prevails. Come on, if you believe that, you say, you know what, I'm standing for truth. I don't care how much it hurts. If that's you, stand your feet all over this room. Come on, lift your hands. Lift your hands to heaven today, God. Thank you for your truth, God. Lord, thank you for your truth. I recognize it's going to cost me. I recognize the truth is going to cost me short term. God, but the long-term benefit of living in the truth is prosperity. It's goodness. It's joy. It's peace. It's, it's long-suffering. God, it's the fruit of the Spirit that you want to give to me. Lord, by walking in the truth, God. God, I thank you for that. Come on, make it your commitment. I'm walking in the truth. I'm walking in the truth. I'm going to live according to the truth of God's Word. Thank you, Lord. Hell or high water, I'm living in the truth. Come on. Sing it out today. You can do it. Come on, you can do it. But you, because of him, come on, he can sustain it. Come on.
message this morning. There's something I, as Pastor Adam was going through this at the end, and kind of encouraging us to lift up your hand if you're dealing with this, lift up your hand if you're dealing with that. It's always been in my walk with the Lord, and I think anybody that walks with God has dealt with things in our lives that, that, that God says to deal with. Every time you ask God, God, I need you to help me with this, he always comes through. Every time you ask God, Lord, I can't do this on my own, I need your help. My God has always made a way. One way or another, he's always made a way. So appreciate this this morning. What an amazing message this was today. What a great, what a great month we are having already this year. What a tremendous start to the year. We're, we're moving forward this year. Lord, we're so grateful to you, Lord, for, for what you've been speaking into our lives, not only this Sunday, but Lord, for the past few Sundays since the beginning of the year, Lord. What an amazing thing it is, Lord, to put truth at the forefront of who we are, because Jesus is truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we say that we're putting Jesus front and center, which is something that we say on a weekly basis, Lord, what we're saying is that we're putting truth front and center. And so we thank you for it, Lord. Let us walk out of this place today, Lord, taking these words that have been spoken, Lord. Let, it, let us not forget what we've heard today, Lord. Let, let us put these things into practice today. But let us walk forward knowing that you will make a way for us, Lord Jesus. Let us put aside the things that the enemy tries to do within us, the way that he worms his way into us. Lord, let us put all those things to the side and follow after you with all of our hearts. We thank you, God, for this message this morning. We thank you for challenging us. We thank you for putting truth, Lord, into, into the forefront of our minds, Lord, as we start this year. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. How many love the Lord this morning? Amen. We want to thank you for joining with us here at Elevate today. As you go from this place, let's encourage each other. Let's walk the way of truth. Amen. God bless you. We love you.